Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Come on in, make yourself at home, St. Michael's. It's good to see everyone this evening. Come on in, make anywhere you'd like to sit. He wants to sit up front. She wants to sit in the back. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to see everyone. Um, golly gee, it's a little empty in here, isn't it? Do I really need this mic? Are we on now, Eric? Good evening, YouTube land. So, um, let's pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of the Holy Word, Holy Spirit, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which Thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So last week, as we continue our teaching series on uh, Episcopal 101, why we do what we do, last week we talked about holy baptism, as you recall. And I was talking about in baptism that we're grafted into the very life of Jesus Christ, that we are in union with God. And you could say that Christianity, the whole point of Christianity, as we name it, is union with God. That's why Jesus Christ came to earth, to reconcile the world and draw us into union with God as we were created to be. So that's a good trivia question. Anybody ask you, what do Christians believe? You can say, union with God. And that's what it's all about. How do we, as people who have been grafted into the life of Jesus, live? How do we practice our faith, right? How do we, why do we do what we do? The Episcopal Church has often been known as the via media. Y'all know what it means? If y'all ever heard that before, the via media, the middle way. So you could say that we're Catholic. That is universal. It means available to all. And that it's expressed through, uh, we have bishops, the succession of bishops and sacraments in a way that connects us to the historic beliefs and the practices of the church from the very first century and connects us around the world. So we're a part of a universal church. We're Catholic. Likewise, though, we're unique because we're Protestant. That is, we incorporate many beliefs and practices from the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, century including our assertion that the Bible contains all things necessary for salvation and should be available to all people. So we're both Catholic and we're Protestant. And this idea of the Via Media came about during a very heavy time 
in the church history, what we call the Protestant Reformation, particularly in England, Anglican, England, right? And they, there was a pendulum that kept swinging back and forth depending on who was ruling England, right? So if they went real Protestant over here during the Reformation, then they condemned everything that was Catholic. And then when it swung Catholic, they condemned everything that was Protestant. Finally, a really wise woman came along and said, look, this is crazy. You're the body of Christ. What do we share? Right? There's a middle way. There's a way that we can pray together, be together as followers of Jesus without condemning one another. And this is where this idea of the middle way, the via media came along. And so that means that we embrace the sacramental aspects and the richness from our Roman Catholic and perhaps even our Eastern Orthodox heritage, as well as the theological significance and richness of the Protestant Reformation via media. You could say that the Episcopal Church, Anglicanism, is a very large umbrella. Huge. And there's a lot of people under the umbrella. And that's the way we are. And we're intended to be that way. So you have people that um, are very uh, Catholic in their practice, in their faith. And likewise, we call that high church, right? And then you have some that's very low church or what we would call more Protestant. But everyone's under the umbrella. Now, when you're walking down the street and you have an umbrella in your hand, when do you get wet? When you're on the fringe of the umbrella, right? And so, so the only ones that are getting wet under this giant umbrella of the Anglicanism of the media, via media, are those who are around the edges of the umbrella. It's like the fringes. But there's supposed to be space beneath it. And so, this is the idea of the via media. And what makes us unique is not so much, tell me what you believe about Jesus. Tell me what you think. How do you feel about it? We don't get into that. We don't list a, t a gazillion doctrines. We believe that this, because there's church splits. There's 41,000 denominations worldwide. Did y'all know that? 41,000 Christian denominations worldwide. You want to know why? Because we refuse to do what Jesus taught us to do, and that is to love one another as he has loved us. That's the reason. And so, I mean, that's the reason. And, and so, um, we actually go through the creeds. The creeds and the way we pray, our Book of Common Prayer that we'll get into later, is what holds us together. And that's, that's our, central, our central act of worship in the Episcopal Church is the Eucharist. And so, it's how we worship. It's how we pray together. It's how, it's the creeds that hold us together, right? And so that's what makes us unique. Rather than dividing over what is your interpretation of grace and what does that mean? And well, I have a different one. And so we, we don't do that. It's the via media, the middle way. And the churches often use the image of two tables, if you will, to express the continuity between um, the way we do our worship together, the liturgy. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We have what's called the liturgy of the word, and then we have what's called the liturgy of the table or the Eucharist. There's two parts in everything that we do every time we gather. So God's people are nourished first from the table of Holy Scripture, and secondly, which is proclaimed during 
the liturgy of the Word. And then they're fed, right? They're fed with the body of our Lord at the table with the Eucharist. While the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ, the source and summit, if you will, of the Christian life, the Scriptures lead us into a deeper communion with Jesus Christ. And and in the Eucharist. So we have what's called, we're fed by the Word of God every time we gather, and we're fed by the sacrament of Christ, right? In the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. And here's the Thomas Kempis said, without these two, I could not live. For God's Word is light of my soul, and the sacrament, the bread of my life. These two can also be called the two tables placed in the treasury of the Holy Church. One table is that of the sacred altar which rests the holy bread. This is what this is here. And the other is that of the divine law, the holy doctrine, the holy scriptures that teaches us the true faith, uh, lifts the veil of the sanctuary and leads us securely into um, the holy of holies, if you will. So. Even though it's not in our name, you could say that the Episcopal Church is a Bible church. You ever been driving through town or something and it says, you know, Orlando Bible Church, right? Like, what does that mean, <laughs> right? You know, but we are. So we don't have out there on our sign, it says, you know, St. Michael's Bible Church. But we are, the Episcopal Church is definitely a Bible church. The Bible plays a central role in our beliefs and our practices. And our liturgy, every time we gather, we have, as you all know, four essential readings. One from the Bible, every single time we gather. The Old Testament, the Psalm, a New Testament epistle reading, and the Gospel. As a Bible church, I would suspect that the Episcopal church perhaps reads more scripture corporately than maybe any other denomination that I'm aware of. Every time we gather, we are immersed in the Word. So after the Old Testament reading and the New Testament readings, we proclaim the Word of the Lord. You know that? Like we'll read the Old Testament and the person will say, the Word of the Lord. And then everyone enthusiastically says, thanks be to God, right? And they're like, woo, like a touchdown. And the reason we do that, that's a little bit of a joke because most of them go, thanks be to God. Uh, you know, but, but, but in all seriousness, it's a reminder that these words are not just nice stories, but they're holy and they're inspired by God. One theologian has noted that this announcement is like a great shout or like a trumpet call. So when they say the word of the Lord, we're saying these words are holy. These words are life-giving. These words are breathed and inspired by God. And God is speaking through us, to us through the Word. And so when we say the Word of the Lord, we're like, yeah, thank be to God. You know, it's reminding us of how marvelous it is for us as human beings to hear God speak through the Scriptures. Why do we do what we do?
the declaration should be heard with absolute amazement. You know, Greg and I often talk back in the sacristy, like, hey man, how'd your sermon prep go? We talk about some things, and he asked me the same thing. And as we get into this Word of God, it absolutely often literally takes my breath away, our breath away, at the profundity and the depth and the richness of what's really taken place and how God is speaking through that word to us to come and proclaim here. And it's profound because it's not of purely human origin, if you will. It has the inspiration of God and it gives life. So we feed not purely on the sacrament of Christ's body and blood, but we literally are fed on the Word of God. We are expressing our amazement, and we are saying that we do not take it for granted when we cry out from the depths of our heart, thanks be to God. It's profound. It's life-giving. See, the gospel, though, those are the Old Testament and the New Testament reading. And typically, like at a major service, we'll come here with the gospel, or as my jiu-jitsu instructor says, the golden book of Jesus. And, and he said that one time. He's Jewish. He didn't know. He goes, what's that golden book of Jesus thing? And I was like, that's the gospel, brother. And I explained to him why we do that. <laughs> we, the gospel was given special honor. And so typically we stand here and read from it, or we process down the aisle here in, in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of those gathered of the body, the bride of Christ. We stand to welcome our Lord Jesus Christ, expressing our reverence and our readiness to listen to Him. Who is about to be proclaimed in the reading? Jesus is speaking through us to that gospel. That's why we make such a big deal about it. That's why we bring it out and we hold it up and we reverence because it's the words of Christ. And we all stand, right? And we make the sign of the cross on our forehead, our mind, our lips, right? Our heart. That we want that to be grafted into us and it feed us. That's all that really is happening and what we're doing. And so... We process in which the gospel book is carried in the middle of the church and we turn and face the gospel book, a sign that we all kind of turn our bodies toward. Do you ever notice that when, when everybody kind of turns around and kind of sort of faces that or whatever, um, particularly when it's being processed into the midst of the crowd? And the reason we do that is that what we're saying is that we're orienting our bodies, we're orienting our lives around this good news, this gospel man of Jesus who is speaking to us in that word at that moment. And when you stop and think about it, When's the last time Jesus has spoken to you? You know what I mean? But every time the gospel is proclaimed, Jesus, the guy with the long-haired sandals and a bunch of funky friends, that guy, Jesus, the Christ, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, is speaking to us. That's what's happening. So the proclamation is huge. The sign of the cross, as I said, right? It's a ritual 
where we take our thoughts, our words, and our actions to the Lord, asking that His Word in the Gospel be always in our minds, on our lips, and in our hearts. That's what that all, all that fancy Episcopalia stuff means, right? But that's why we do it. They have meaning behind that's significant. And then what happens after the Gospel was read? Anybody know? Good answer. I preach. It's the homily or the sermon. Basically, the word homily means explanation in Greek. So we take the Word of God, all those readings, and then we begin to unpack it. What is it saying? How is it speaking to us? What did it mean in the context in which it was written and came about? And what does it mean for us, therefore, right? It goes back to the Jews and Ezra when the law was read, and then back in that day they would unpack it, right? So this is what we're doing. So a sermon isn't like, hey, what's Father Rick think about this per se? I didn't come up with it, right? It's the words of Christ. It's how God is speaking uh, his word through us. I'm just kind of the deliverer of the message of what that might mean. And so it's God's holy word. And this is the thing that I can never get. Why do you want God to shut up? Like, I hope he doesn't go more than 12 minutes. God, can you wrap this up? No, I'm kidding. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it is the word of God that is being proclaimed. You know, we're people of prayer, the Book of Common Prayer, right? That's common prayer. We'll, we'll unpack that later. But about 70% of everything that was in our Book of Common Prayer comes directly from Scripture. So we're praying the word of God. And you might notice that in our prayers of the people every week, those readings from that week, uh, the Gospel, the Old Testament, New Testament, even the Psalm responses and everything that we say, we literally take those readings every single week and we devise prayers for the people to pray. So we're not, we're not only hearing the Word, it's being spoken, we're eating it, if you will, and digesting it and hopefully internalizing it, but we're also praying it. We're praying the very word that we've just heard, that we've just listened to, and it helps bring it into our hearts, but it also helps us to express it in everything that we do. That's why we do what we do. Many of the most beloved and beautiful prayers and responses in our liturgy are straight from the Scripture. Think about how much Scripture that you pray every week. I mean, from the opening greeting when I say, the Lord be with you, that comes from Ruth, chapter 2, verse 4, straight from the Scripture, right? When we say the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, it's Matthew 6. We all know that's out of Scripture, right? The Sanctus, or holy, 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 comes from Isaiah 6 and Matthew. The words at every Holy Eucharist are from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. I mean, we're, he took blood, he broke it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it, right? We're praying Scripture. Uh, further, most of the phrases and images in our weekly 
collects, that's prayers, a collection of word prayers, and Eucharistic prayers comes directly from the scriptures. So you could say that we as Episcopalians are truly indeed Bible people. We're Bible people. We're a Bible church. And if you're from West Virginia like me, you can go, well, you know what? We're a Bible church, right? That's what we are. As Episcopalians, the Bible saturates our lives. It saturates our liturgy. It saturates the things that make us who we are. The people of the middle way, both Roman, excuse me, both Catholic universal and both Protestant. And the Bible saturates who we are. From the scriptures we read uh, to the prayers that we say, the Bible is ingrained in absolutely every single thing we do. So, is the Episcopal Church a Bible church? It's St. Michael's Bible Episcopal Church. (laughs) We get a glimpse of how Episcopalians read and honor the Bible in a somewhat surprising place, though. You know where that comes from, Greg? Where we get a glimpse of how Episcopalians read and honor the Bible. It comes from our ordination. Um, Our Book of Common Prayer includes three services for ordination. Bishop, priest, deacon, right? Now, you could say that your baptism, in your baptism, you are ordained. You are ordained in your baptism. When you got baptized and you were sealed and marked as Christ forever, Christ owned forever, you were literally ordained for full-time ministry. So, as a friend or former colleague that I know would say, I hope when we talk about somebody getting baptized, somebody entering full-time ministry, that we're actually talking about someone who's getting ready to be baptized. Because that's what it means. However, there are also places and offices, if you will, or positions or whatever that the church raises up. And they go, we think that you possess gifts and are being called by God to do this unique part, this unique work within the church, and that's bishops, priests, and deacons. And inside that, in each service, the person being ordained makes vows and promises distinct to that particular ministry. But at the beginning of each service of ordination, every person, bishops, priests, and deacons, uh, make it the same declaration. And that is, I solemnly declare that I do believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God and contain all things necessary for salvation. Now, this declaration is important because the Book of Common Prayer instructs us that it must be provided as a printed document and every ordinate must sign that declaration during the ceremony in sight of all those who are present. We're a Bible church. The Word of God is important. In every service, the first half of the service, up until I say, the peace of the Lord be always with you, the first half of the service is essentially us feasting on the Word. And we clearly state that both the Old Testament and the New Testaments are Holy Scripture. So God's revelation to humanity begins with 
This is in the beginning, right? The story of God's great love for us is constant and consistent throughout the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, it's the Bible that Jesus read. It's the Bible that Jesus knew and loved. And so therefore, it speaks to us too. So the vow also says, though, that the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God. We proclaim this phrase in worship in response to the readings. Quite simply, this means that we believe the Bible is more than just nice stories, as I said, but it is indeed the Word of God. Why do we call the Holy Scriptures the Word of God? Our catechism says we call them the Word of God because God inspired their human authors and because God still speaks to us through the Bible via the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So the Bible is the Word of God because at the time of its writing, it was inspired by God. And because when we hear these words today, we too can be inspired. Would you say that's decent? Okay, good. Um, so the answer in the catechism um, also acknowledges the human component. Human authors wrote the Bible, and human listeners hear the words today. But the words are not just human composed. They're not just simply stories written purely and mainly by humans about God with no involvement from God. They are in some ways mysterious um, that they can neither uh, quantify nor completely fully understand, but they are inspired by God. So the scriptures are both and. They're human and holy and written and heard by people. They're both those who wrote and for those who hear were and are inspired by God. So the people writing them are inspired by God and the people hearing them can be inspired by God. And finally, when we take our vows and during our ordination, we proclaim the gospel, the, the Bible contains everything necessary for salvation. This is important. We don't need additional knowledge outside of the scriptures, right, to learn about God's salvation. So, from the liturgy, um, ordination vows, the catechism, we see that we are indeed um, Bible people. We take the Bible seriously. But that doesn't mean that we actually read the Bible literally. I've often heard that the least spiritual way to read Scripture is literally. <laughs> right? I mean, the truth is no one actually reads the Bible literally. Right? I mean, even people who claim that they do. John 8 says this. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, if we took it literally, that would mean that Jesus glows, like a glow stick, right? Obviously, Jesus didn't mean that literally. <laughs> he meant us to hear these words as gripping image. So it's like the story um, of the little boy cried wolf. You all ever heard that story? My mama used to tell it to me when I was whining and stuff. She goes, well, Rick... You had a little boy cried wolf, and he kept saying, and then one day he cried out for his mama, and she, he had done it so much that she just ignored him, and the wolf came and ate him. That was a scary story as a kid, but guess what? I never forgot it. Now, here's the deal. Is that story true? You're saying yes, somebody else is saying no. It's true. 
there's truth in the story. So, right? So it doesn't matter, okay, was this right? But where is the truth? It's in the story itself, right? And that's how sometimes the scriptures speak to us, right? Was there a little dude that cried wolf? I don't know. Is there truth in that story and does it speak? And the answer is absolutely yes. What does it mean? How is it speaking to us? So that's how the Bible can be spoken to us, as opposed to just purely a literal interpretation. But even though we don't take every word of the Bible literally, again, no one does, because Jesus doesn't glow, we do absolutely take the Bible incredibly seriously. We believe that the Bible was both real and true. We believe that the Bible contains real stories about real people who had real experience of God in the real world. We believe that the Bible is completely and deeply true. I'm almost done. The Bible tells us the truth about ourselves. It tells us the truth about the world. And it tells us the truth about God. Often that truth is told through metaphor, it's told through history, it's told through poetry that's maybe not literal, and we have to wrestle with its meaning in order to fully understand what God is ultimately saying to us. So that prayer that I read at the beginning tonight offers us as a pattern how we can read the Bible. It begins with the reminder that the Holy Scriptures originated and are grounded in God. God caused the Bible to be written, and God did so for our learning. The Bible was written by God, if you will, but for us. It's a gift. The Bible is fundamentally about relationship. It is a conversation, a communication between God and humanity. And finally, the Bible exists so that we might learn more about God and more about ourselves, about our history and who we are today, about those who have followed God from time and time and times before us. So we take it seriously. We as Episcopalians are Bible people. You know, Two guys that translated scriptures into English from, I guess it was the Latin, in the 15th, 16th century, right? They were choked to death and burned at the stake because they dared translate the scriptures into the language, the vernacular of the people so that they could read it and engage it and be inspired by it. People have literally given their lives for this. And I heard a bishop say one time, and most people on the planet spend more time with their daily horoscope than they do the Word of God. This is why we read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest scripture. It is God's gift to us, and it's one half of what we do every time we gather. Thank you. Give this boy a raise.
if you'll pull out your handy-dandy night prayer. Do you need one, Greg? And just notice how much Scripture is in everything that we pray tonight. The angels of God guard us through the night. The Spirit of God be our guide. It is but lost labor that we haste to rise up early and so late take rest and eat the bread of anxiety. For those beloved of God are given gifts even while they sleep. My brothers and sisters, our help is in the name of the eternal God. Dear God, thank you for all that is good, for our creation and for our humanity, for the stewardship you have given us of this planet Earth, for the gifts of life and of one another, for your love, which is unbounded and eternal. O thou most holy and beloved, my companion, my guide upon the way, my bright evening star, we repent the wrongs we have done. We have wounded your love. We stumble in the darkness. We forget that we are your home. Eternal Spirit, living God, in whom we live and move and have our being, all that we are, have been, and shall be is known to you. To the very secret of our hearts and all that rises to trouble us, living flame, burn into us. Cleansing wind, blow through us. Fountain of water, well up within us, that we may love and praise in deed and truth. Eternal Spirit, flow through our being and open our lips. Let us worship the God of love. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From you alone, O oh God, does my help come. You will not let me stumble on the rough pathways. I am sure that the guardian of my people neither... Oops. The God of all nations, keep watch. So the sun will not strike me by day. You will defend me in the presence of evil. You will defend my going out and my coming in. 
This is a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Do not ask anxiously, what are we to eat? What are we to drink? What shall we wear? The whole world runs after such things. Set your heart and mind on God's commonwealth and justice first, and all the rest will come to you as well. So do not be anxious about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own. Tomorrow can look after itself. Into your hands, O God, I commend my spirit. Keep me, O God, as the apple of your eye. Preserve us, O God, while waking, and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in your peace. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. I will lie down in peace and take my rest. Let us bless the earth maker, the pain bearer, the life giver. May God's name be praised beyond the furthest star. Let us pray together. Lord, it is night. The night is for stillness. Let us be still in the presence of God. It is night after a long day. What has been done has been done. What has not been done has not been done. Let it be. The night is dark. Let our fears of the darkness of the world and of our lives rest in you. The night is quiet. Let the quietness of your peace enfold us, all dear to us, and all who have no peace. The night heralds the dawn. Let us look expectantly to a new day, new joys, new possibilities. In your name we pray. O oh God, strengthen your servants with your heavenly grace, that we may continue yours forever and daily increase in your, in your Holy Spirit more and more until we come to your everlasting kingdom. The divine spirit dwells in us. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, 
God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.